Let's begin tonight in Matthew chapter 12. I would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. As has been announced beforehand and even this evening, we have been thinking about the theme of turn away from evil. And we find that expression in Proverbs, the third chapter, in which we have been called to fear God and to turn away from evil with the understanding that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And we began our work on the Lord's Day by thinking about the, the truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. And so the good news within the context of turn away from evil is that in Christ Jesus, you are going to have a lot of opportunity in your life to turn away from evil. My wife and I live in Clifton, Virginia. The church where we work and, and worship with, our, our building is located in, in Annandale, Virginia. We live in what folks in our part of the world refer to as the DMV. And that D stands for Washington, D.C. The M stands for Maryland. And the V stands for Virginia. And as we consider the individual members that make up the Annandale Church of Christ, what, what we know about one another is that we are all very spread out. We have folks who, who live in Maryland, and we have folks who live in the heart of D.C., and we have folks that live all over northern Virginia. And so it is not uncommon for any of the members of the Annandale Church at any given time to feel like they are alone. And the reality of our lives in the, in the DMV is that most of us are alone when we are in our neighborhood. There, there aren't any other Christians that are members of the Annandale Church that, that live in, in my neighborhood. I, I don't know that we have two families that worship with us that are, that are members one another of us who, who live in the same neighborhood. In the nine years that we have lived there, I, I don't know that we've ever had more than maybe two or three of our kids at a time that went to the same school. I don't think that there is anyone among us who works at the same place that, a, that another person uh, works at. And so when we think about our lives in in Christ and the call to turn away from evil, the, the reality of all of our lives is that we, we do very little church by comparison to the, the individual discipleship that we participate in as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so by way of encouragement tonight, I, I, I want to be honest with you. There are times that you're going to find yourself where you are going to be alone and when you find yourself alone, you are going to potentially, you are going to feel alone. I want to encourage you in that tonight because I believe that we're going to have a whole lot more opportunity if we're going to turn away from evil in Christ and stand against the deceptions of the devil in our country much sooner than later. If, if we're going to live our lives alone, if you will, in which we don't all live in the same neighborhood and we don't all go to the same schools and we don't all work at the same jobs, uh, 
then we're going to come in and into contact with people who are going to fall into that category of, of, of bad company, of evil, of worthless, who are going to challenge us when it comes to the existence of God, the will of God, what God has said from creation about male and female, created He them. We're going to be challenged when it comes to the business of marriage and the definition of marriage and one man for one woman for life with one exception. We are going to have a lot of opportunity in our lives to be alone and to stand alone and we're going to be faced with the challenge of glorifying God or conforming to the culture. And so I want to encourage you to think about from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, that God's Word is full of examples of His people who were alone, who felt alone. And so tonight there are two lessons. And what I want to do as we consider these two lessons is look to the Scriptures that call us to faith in these two lessons. And that is why we begin in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside. This is his, his physical mother, Mary. And these are his physical brothers. And they are standing outside. They are seeking to speak with him. And so one of them says to him, Lord, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And I love what he did in verse 49. He stretched out his hand toward his disciples. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Before I tell you what the first lesson is, I want to tell you that you may be here tonight and you may be thinking about all this alone but not alone business and you may be thinking to yourself, I'm alone at home. And you may very well be alone at home. You may not have a spouse that encourages you in your faith. You may not have the blessing of a mother and a father who have brought you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You may not have the blessing of having physical brothers who want to see you and and, and encourage you in, in your faith. And so I want you to be encouraged by Jesus here. He had that. But what did he say? He said, I want you to look around. And I would encourage you to do that tonight. Look around. Here is my mother. And here are my brothers. He who does the will of our God. Jesus said, that's who my family is. And so your physical family, they, they may not ever, they may not ever encourage you to turn away from evil. But lesson number one tonight, cherish one another. Lean on one another. Encourage and edify one another within the context of this local church that you are a member of. The devil did a number on us during the pandemic in convincing us that we could just redefine church. We could redefine the assembly. And I tell you what happened over the course of time. A lot of Christians that were just in the habit of 
of going to church. They just stopped going. And what the, what the pandemic served to do is it served to expose their lack of faith and their lack of spirituality. And I, I'll tell you one of the things that those of us who understand about the nature of the church is that when we were called to give it two weeks to slow the spread and we were good soldiers and we went about the business of, of obeying Romans 13 and obeying 1 Timothy 2 and, and we were doing that to the glory of God because we've been called to obey the, obey the, obey the government of the land that, that God ordained, we missed one another. We missed being together. We miss coming together in this spiritual family. We miss these relationships. We miss the encouragement. We miss the edification. And what I find in the local church that I am a member of and what I find in the Northfield Boulevard Church when I come and visit is that there are people here who are not like people in my neighborhood. There are people here that, that, that are not like the people that, that I went to school with, that my kids go to school with. When I sold pharmaceuticals, there are people here that, that weren't in my work environment. When I come here, what I find are people who think like me and people who talk like me and people who behave like me and people who believe like me and people who practice like me. And I need that. Because a lot of the week... I'm alone, and I feel alone. And as that young man told his mom, I, I need somebody with skin on. I believe that God is there, but he is invisible. And so sometimes I need someone that I can see. And that's why God has blessed us with one another and called us into community. And the point of the local church, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, is that we might experience the reality of the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that we might build one another up until we all grow up into the head who is Christ Jesus. Every member doing their part to the glorification of God through Jesus and the building up of the body of Christ. Lesson number one tonight, as you think about being alone but not alone, within the context of your local church here at Northfield Boulevard, cherish one another, lean on one another Encourage and edify number one another. And number two tonight, when, when you are alone and you, and you feel alone, remember, remember this. Whenever you are alone and feel alone, you are not alone. There are times in which I'm walking around in my neighborhood and there's no one else with me. And sometimes I feel very isolated and I feel very alone. But the reality of my life in Christ is this. I am not alone, and neither are you. Feelings can be deceptive, and that is why the, the deceiver says, trust your feelings, and that is why the one in, in whom is no deceit says, what saith the scripture? Have you not read? What is the truth? Here's the truth, beloved. I want to consider three examples, and then we'll talk about Jesus. Example number one, Joseph. And let's turn our attention to, the, to, to Joseph's story as it begins in Genesis, the 37th chapter. And so what we have in Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 2, is a 17-year-old young man. 
And when we are introduced to Joseph in Genesis, the 37th chapter, and he is introduced to us at 17 years of age, we, we, read, the, we, we read the rest of this particular story. And, and here is a young man, and he is 17 years of age, and he is just dreaming of greatness. And he tells his brothers about his dream, and, 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 and his brothers interpreted the dream correctly. It didn't really put them in a good light, right? And so they didn't, they didn't particularly like his dreams, and they sure didn't like the fact that their dad gave him and only him, this beautiful coat of many colors. And so verse 11, they envied him. But his father Jacob, he kept these matters in mind. But his brothers, they kept these matters in mind as well. And so when they had this opportunity to sell him into uh, slavery, sell him into slavery, that they did. And I want to tell you, I've never had that experience, but i got a list of things that I don't ever want to experience. And this is one of them. And so I just want you to think about, you know, what was possibly going through this young man's mind? And everything that happens to him in chapter 37, then we have this, you know, awful interlude in chapter 38, this awful story about Judah and Tamar. So we just move past that. And so we get into chapter 39. And the rest of the story of 37 is that Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. But look at verse 2. When Joseph went to Egypt, he didn't carry any of his brothers with him. And I don't know that he would have wanted to have carried carried any of them with him the way they treated him. But he he didn't have any cousins to take with him. He didn't have any, any friends didn't have any other Hebrews with him. He was in Egypt, surrounded by Egyptians. I think that's the point of, of, of it telling us that Potiphar was an Egyptian. He's just surrounded by Egyptians. But look at verse 2. I, I have no doubt that Joseph felt alone. But what was the truth? 39.2. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I Am, was with Joseph. And because the Lord was with him, he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that Joseph did to prosper in his hand. Verse 5, so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of the house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and and in the field. We drop down to verse 23. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So we get into chapter 40 and we read about the butler and the baker and the candlestick maker. No, we don't. We don't read about the candlestick maker. but We do read about the butler and the baker. And those guys forgot about Joseph, right? They didn't remember Joseph. So we skip ahead to chapter 41 and verse 46. And now Joseph has gone from 17 years of age and the Lord was with him. And now Joseph is 30 years of age, chapter 41, verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And as time goes on, his brothers make their way to Egypt because of the great famine. And Joseph is 
testing them to see why they're there and if his father's still alive. And so when he finally reveals himself to them in chapter 45, chapter 45, verse 4, he says, Please come near to me to his brothers. And so they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. All that time Joseph would have been alone, felt alone. He wasn't alone. And so we come to chapter 50 and Jacob has died. And so the brothers are thinking to themselves, well, Our father, Jacob, he was the buffer between us and and Joseph's wrath. The only reason that Joseph hasn't given us what we deserve for what we did to him when he was 17 is because of Jacob. And now that Jacob is dead, we're in big trouble. And here's what Joseph said to them in chapter 50, beginning in verse 19. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Remember, when you are alone and feel alone, you are not alone. Joseph was not alone. The Lord was with Joseph. What about Elijah? Example number two. 1 Kings chapter 18. I love 1 Kings chapter 18. It's one of my favorite Bible stories since I was a little kid. My favorite description of, of 1 Kings chapter 18 is that this is the battle of the gods. It's the battle of the true and living God against, against all these false gods and all of their prophets. The 450 uh, uh, prophets of Baal, verse 19, and the, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. I love that. I mean, that's how bad they were, right? Eating at her table. She's terrible. Bad company. Corrupting everybody that she came into contact with. So Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel and, and, and he has this great victory. He gets to experience this great victory of the true and living God of Yahweh over all of these, these false gods. And so the conclusion of it in verse 39 is that when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And in this battle of the gods, what what you see is that these prophets that went to war with Elijah and the true and living God, they were true believers. And I want you to see that they were true believers in verse 28. It's because of what they did that I've come to that conclusion. And, And what they did in verse 28 is they cried aloud to their gods and they cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. I've made a number of trips to India, and, and, and in the city of Madurai, there is this amazing feat of architecture. There is this Hindu temple in Madurai that is just magnificent to behold. And so a couple of us wanted to go down and, and just walk around it. We couldn't go in it because we're not Hindus. We had no intention of going in it. We just wanted to walk around it and look at the architecture of it all. And there's so many lessons to be learned just standing in front of it. And so when you, 
when you stand in front of it, all, all around it, there, there are all these things that have been carved in, into it. And so I knew that things weren't safe when the driver uh, told us where to go and then I looked back over my shoulder and the driver had decided to go with us because he just wanted to keep an eye on us and make sure that we didn't disappear and that we made it back to the car. So we, we went down to this complex at, at a certain time because we knew it was going to be closed. They, they have all these times where you can go in and worship and sacrifice, but then they, cl- they close it off at certain times, and we thought, okay, this would be a good time to go. So we go down there, and we're walking around this thing. And there were these guys, and I don't know what part of Hinduism that they were a part of, but they looked like ninjas. They just had sort of these ninja-type-looking outfits, and they didn't have any shirts on. And I want to tell you, it, it was at that point in my life that I was doing CrossFit, and I wasn't ever as, as ripped as, as these guys ever were, but these guys looked like they'd been doing CrossFit their whole life, and they built a little fire outside of the gate of this, of this Hindu temple. And they started dancing around this fire, and they just had this look in their eye like they meant business. And each of them had a coconut in their hand, and when they finished dancing around that little fire, they all took that coconut and they slammed it down on the ground. And that coconut just splintered and divided into all sorts of pieces and just went everywhere. And I want to tell you, when those guys slammed those coconuts down, they were very pleased with themselves. They began high-fiving one another and patting each other on the back and, you know, in their language, communicating, way to go, good job. And Bill Robinson and I looked at one another and we looked at our little driver and I said to Bill, I think it's time to go now. Those guys were true believers. And there were only two people down there that day out of the millions of people that were down there. There were only two people down there that didn't look like all the other people that were down there. I cannot imagine how thrilling this must have been for Elijah. I had a little experience with some people that I judged to be true believers worshiping a false god, and it was time to go. And Elijah, he had this amazing experience in which the true and living God prevailed over all these false prophets. And Elijah said to them in verse 40, Seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there, and the drought ended in... And then what? Then in chapter 19, Jezebel wasn't all that impressed. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And so Elijah has this mountaintop experience in which he was alone against all these prophets. But he was not alone because the Lord was with him. And so he comes down off the mountain, and what what happens next? Jezebel is ready to kill him, and so here's Elijah's response. Verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And notice what he says next. I alone... 
I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Here's the rest of the story. The Lord speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice. And he tells him a number of things that pertain to the past and the present and the future. And then in verse 18, here's what the Lord says to Elijah. He says to Elijah, oh, by the way. Oh, by the way, Mr. I alone am left. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Beloved, if you ever have a mountaintop experience like Elijah has on Mount Carmel, and then you come down off the mountain and, and you, now you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and, and you begin to have a little pity party and you begin to pray and you begin to, you begin to say to the Lord, I alone am left. I want you to remember what the Lord said to him in verse 18. He said to him in verse 18, Elijah, you are not alone. I am with you. And oh, by the way, there are 7,000 others that are with you too. There are times in our lives in which we may find ourselves alone and we may, feel our, we may feel like we're alone. I want you to remember that there are 7,000 that have not bailed the knee. You know, we sometimes we look at our country and where's our country going? I'm much more concerned about where the people of God are going than our country. If our country falls, our responsibility to the Lord remains the same. No matter where we live, under what government that we live under, our responsibilities to the King of Kings remains. It remains the same. And so sometimes we look at the country and we think, oh, there's not, there's not ten righteous people left. Beloved, there are ten righteous people who live in Washington, D.C. There are 10 righteous people who live in Northern Virginia. There are 10 righteous people who live in Maryland. It encourages me so much to come here and to see all of you and your faithfulness. And I go home and I, I tell our brethren about the good things that I experience in him and that encourages them. And that's what we've been called to, to remember. To remember wherever we are Wherever we are in which we feel alone, we are not alone. Have you ever thought about the fact as we turn our attention now to John, the Apostle John, the the disciple whom Jesus loved, and we turn our attention to Revelation chapter 1? Have you ever thought about the fact that that the apostles had an experience that you and I will never have? They spent three and a half years with Jesus, and Jesus was taken from them. And so sometimes I do a lesson called an unshared experience. And I talk about, I'm telling you, if, if Jesus had stayed up all night in prayer and he hadn't chosen me to be one of the 12, I'd have gone away sorrowful and disappointed. And it would have taken me a minute to get over that. And so here are these disciples who are on the peripheral of it all. But here are these 12 guys. And, and within those 12 guys, here are three guys. And here's one guy in particular. And they just got to share in some special stuff, beloved, with God. Do you see that? You see that Jesus is God in the flesh, 
and that they live their lives with him for three years. And then he tells them, I'm going home, and you're not going to see me anymore. And you remember those people that, that, that I told you're not going to see me anymore? Well, now I'm telling that to you. And so when Jesus ascended out of their sight to the right hand of the throne of God, and he sat down upon the throne of his father David, from where he present tense reigns as the Lord of lords and the King of kings, that was the last time that John saw him in his life on earth. And so if the book of Revelation was written, as I believe it was, at the end of the first century, you're you're talking about John has now lived almost 70 years of his life without Jesus. And so where we find him in the book of Revelation is he's been exiled to the the island of Patmos because of his faith and and, and because of of his testimony of Jesus Christ for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And when he was on the Isle of Patmos, I want to tell you, if tradition is true that tells us that he was in Ephesus when they took him to Patmos and he went back to Ephesus after he got, he, he wasn't able to assemble with the saints at Ephesus on the Lord's Day when he was on the island of Patmos. And I'm telling you, for those of us who, who find those, those times on the Lord's Day special, that would have hurt him, that would have grieved him. And so he's been without Jesus all this time, and, and now he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he doesn't even have his brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Jesus comes back into his life. But Jesus is not alone this time. The Father comes too. And so does the Holy Spirit. And they send angels as well. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it. He signified it with signs. This is a a type of literature that uses signs to point to truths. He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as as if refined in a furnace. And his voice, his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who has blessed us with the gospel of John, the disciple who 
leaned on the Lord's breast. When he saw Jesus in his glory, fell at his feet as dead. But... He laid his right hand on me. You see that? He touched him. And then he said to him, Do not be afraid. I am here. I've always been here. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the first, I am the last, I am. You see that tonight? Whenever you are alone and feel alone, you are not alone. Jesus, in John 8 verse 29, he said, my father is always with me. Jesus in, in John sixteen thirty two said, The Father's going to be with me through all this. And I want you to look at what Matthew chapter 26 verse 39 says. Matthew's account of of the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew chapter 26 and in verse 39. So Jesus is in Gethsemane with the twelve, but he... He takes Peter and, and, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, verse 37. And then in verse 39, the Spirit tells us that Jesus went a little beyond them. He went even a little beyond them. He was alone in Gethsemane. So when he was done praying and they were coming for him, Luke's account tells us that he that he essentially said to the devil, Behold, now is, is your hour in the power of darkness. Do your worst. I'm ready. And do his worst, the devil did. Jesus hung on a cross for six hours, but after he'd been on the cross for three hours... The lights went out. There was darkness over the face of the earth for three hours, from 12 to 3. And it was at the beginning of the darkness in which Jesus uttered the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want to tell you, in those three hours that Jesus was in the darkness experiencing everything that the devil could throw at him. There is a lot of mystery there. But when Jesus uttered the expression, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting the first line of Psalm 22. And young people, Psalm 22 is one of the reasons why I'm a Christian. Psalm 22 is a psalm of David that was written a thousand years before Jesus was was born. Before Jesus came into the earth as the, as the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And what you have in Psalm 22, a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross, is 
a description of the perspective of Jesus as he's dying on the cross. And there are so many layers to this that, that, that call us to faith in God. He, he is talking about an event that hasn't happened yet, a thousand years before it happens, and he's talking about it in great detail. But not only that, he's talking about crucifixion before crucifixion was cool. So the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. And so in Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? And so what you have throughout Psalm 22, the first 18 verses, is this perspective of the one who is speaking, who is alone, who feels alone. But here's the conclusion of those three hours in the darkness. Psalm 22, beginning in verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. And then we have these four precious words. You have answered me. Seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. The last two, I believe they were in this order. I believe Jesus said, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Psalm 22 verse 21, you have answered me. Did Jesus experience the cross alone Indeed. Did he feel alone? Yes. Was he alone? Here's the conclusion of the whole matter tonight. What encourages me more than having you? And you are a blessing to me. Is knowing that he is with me. In Psalm 139 and in verses 7 through 12, we read about the omnipresence of God. Where can I go? Where can I go that you are not? If I go here, you're there. If I go there. And so what we have in Psalm 139 is a, is a, is a lesson in theology, the study of God. And, the, and Psalm 139 is telling us that this is who God is. And these are, the, these are the attributes of God. These are the omnis of God. And so the omnipresence of God... God was with Joseph when he was in the promised land. He was with Joseph when he was in Egypt. He was with Elijah when he was on Mount Carmel. He was with Elijah when he was down by the brook. He was with John, whether John was in Jerusalem or Ephesus or Patmos. And he was always with Jesus. And so good theology, beloved, leads to good living. Tonight, do you believe in the omnipresence of God? Well, if you believe that God is present everywhere at all times, then guess what? You are never alone. You are never alone. He is always there. And then as we think about Matthew chapter 28, from from a different perspective tonight, 
In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus would say, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make disciples and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then I want you to remember this. I want you to remember as you go and as you make and as you baptize and as you teach that I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm always going to be with you. And I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. If you are in the will of God, then He is with you. If you are in the will of God, then He is with you. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, Joshua was selected to be the successor to Moses. I want to tell you, by any, by any metric, Moses is a formidable person. I mean, he is a giant among God's people, and how do you follow that guy? And so Joshua got to do some special things that other people didn't get to do, but still, Joshua, you are going to lead the people of God into the promised land because Moses isn't getting to go. Because Moses failed to regard me as holy. Hmm. That's another lesson. It's a good one. So Joshua, you're the man. And so what does the Lord say to Joshua over and over and over again? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for I am going to be with you wherever you go and wherever Joshua went and the Lord was with them as they were in the will of God. There were a couple of times in that conquest of the land that they weren't in the will of God. That there was sin in the camp. And so they had to get the sin out of the camp so that they would be in the will of God again. And God would be with them. When they were in the will of God, God was with them. And God delivered the promised land to them in Joshua 21, 43 through 45 in fulfillment of Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So our final text tonight that I want to encourage you to look at in your own Bible is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You, you may be alone in your life and you may feel alone, but you're not alone. Cherish one another and lean on one another and encourage, edify one another. And remember, where, wherever you are in your life, you're, you're not alone. He is there. And I want to tell you, it hurts, but there are people in this church that will disappoint you. There are people in this church that won't build you up. They won't edify you. There are people in this church that are going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. They're not going to be there for you. And I'll tell you why that's true, because there's only one Jesus. And these other folks in here are not him. They're doing the best they can to follow him. I, I, I believe that. I believe that's generally true of all of us, that we're doing the best we can to follow someone who is perfect. And we fall short of his glory, and we fall short in our relationships with one another. And beloved, what, what, you, can't, what you can't do is let the unfaithfulness of another person keep you from the sinlessness of the perfect one. And the Apostle Paul experienced all that, and he says in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 4, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. And then he said the same thing that Jesus said. 
when Jesus uttered the first of the seven statements, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. May it not be charged against them. And then he begins verse 17 with a but. Yeah, I was alone and I felt alone, but I wasn't alone. The Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I believe that 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16, 17, and 18 are not only to be true of Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who said by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I am present tense, the chief of sinners. I do not believe that those verses are to only be true of him. I believe that they are to be true of each and every child of God. The Lord will stand with you when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you do not have to fear any evil because His rod and His staff will comfort you. And when your life is over, He will deliver you. Do you believe that tonight? That's what He wants you to believe. And He's patient and long-suffering with all of us. Reminding us of these things so that we can grow in His grace and in His knowledge. And so that we can live a life in which when we feel alone, we can remember He's there. And He'll help me now. And He'll see me through when it's all over. Do you need to obey His gospel tonight? Do you need to repent of sin? However we can help you. To find your way to His help, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?